reading for today is from Mark 10, 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home, or brothers or sisters, or mothers or fathers, or children, or fields for me in the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you so much for reading that. That's a really great help. And uh, just to say that we've got a question time uh, this afternoon as well. So um, the number, I hope, will be on the screen at some point soon. And if you want to text in any questions that you've got from today or from the series that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, please do feel um, um, free to. Um, there's a, a number coming up on the screen, and it's also on the service sheets. Uh, any questions at all? And then uh, Sophie's going to be helping me answer those questions a little bit later on. Good. Well, let's pray as we begin. Let's pray. Here are some words from the last song we listened to. See the empty tomb today. Death could not contain him. Once the servant of the world, now in victory, reigning. Father God, thank you so much for the amazing victory that Jesus wins as he walks out of the tomb uh, to show that he's beaten death and sin forever that uh, the tomb, death, could not contain him. And I, I pray, Father, that knowing that he's in la at large in the world, in our world, uh, that we would long to hear about him in the words of the Bible, to get to know him better, to become more like him. And so, Father, I pray that you would communicate your word to us about him in a way that's real and life-changing. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, well, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, 
Uh, here's a picture of my family in the mid-1970s. Several things to notice about this picture of my family uh, in, the, in the 1970s. Notice my dad wearing a, a mauve turtleneck, very fashionable, in about 1975. Uh, note my mum wearing the long, pointy, uh, sort of yellow collar, very much, uh, 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 very much what people were wearing those days. Notice the two boys wearing stripy jumpers. And notice that the boy uh, in, the, in the bottom right-hand corner looks remarkably like Nathan's sister. Did you notice that? How strange is that? That's actually me um, wearing a, a, the same bowl haircut as Nathan's sister. How strange that we should have such a strong similarity. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in. Maybe it looked like that. Maybe it didn't look like that at all. And for some of us, it would have been a very positive experience. And for some of us, I know, it would have been a much less positive experience. It was a difficult place for you to be. But whatever kind of family you grew up in, then God had a bigger plan for you. And that plan was for you to grow up in the local church. To grow up in the local church. And, and that is the most real family that you can have. Nathan's already said that to us, that the, the local church is the kind of family that we can uh, experience life together, we can laugh and cry together, we can eat together, we can be ourselves together. That is one of the most radical things that the Bible teaches, if you haven't come across that before. That, that this family, that the local church, is, is more exciting, it's more wonderful than that sort of family. And that this sort of family is God's family, and so this sort of family, the local church, is real family. This is where we genuinely belong. Now that's an important thing to say as we finish our short series about singleness this week. It's our third week this week and the final one of the series. And it's an important thing to say for this reason because... A lot of the things we've seen so far about singleness in our series have been all about the future. I don't know if you've noticed that. So week one, we could summarize it like this. Week one, please don't underestimate singleness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 said that. Do you remember marriage is good, but singleness is better? Please don't underestimate singleness. Because this world in its present form is passing away. That's what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians. That was what we learned in week one. And then week two said something like this. Please don't overestimate marriage. You see, that, that, that's the counterpoint. Please don't overestimate marriage. And, and we looked at the start and the end of the Bible. And we learned that we can easily make marriage an idol. That's an easy thing to do. So the Bible says, please don't overestimate marriage marriage because it turns out that you won't find total fulfillment in marriage and and all those sexual desires that we have all that sexuality that god made us with is to make us long for heaven pointing us forwards it's about the future so it turns out that lots of our thinking about singleness is focused on the future yeah and, and that's why it's been such a useful topic to think about as a whole church. I hope you agree with that. Because it reminds us that the center of gravity for a Christian is always in the future. Always, for all of us. 
It's like C.S. Lewis said. Do you know this, this quote from C.S. Lewis? He was the author who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Singleness is a huge reminder that all of us were made for that end-time marriage when Jesus marries the church, when we become his bride. We're going to walk up the aisle with Jesus Christ. It'll be the best wedding ever. And so we live our lives in, with, with delayed gratification. In other words, we're, we have a real longing which we know is only going to be fulfilled in, in the future. 99.9% of the blessings of Christianity are to be found there on the last day. But while we wait for that in the here and now, in our current experience, Mark's Gospel talks about something very revolutionary, and that's growing up in his family here on earth, which is, which is the local church. You know, there's a strand of thinking out there, isn't there, which says that, that single people won't be able to have a family. And the Bible profoundly disagrees with that because this is God's family and so this is real family. We're going to think about that briefly under three headings. And I do send in questions anytime that you want to and the number's there on the, on the service sheet. Uh, if, you're, um, if you're looking at your phone during the sermon, I'll assume that you're sending in a question. Okay, rather than checking the cricket score. The, here, here we go. Here's the first thing that the Bible says. The church is a place of real relationships. Point number one, the church is a place of real relationships. Have a look down at Mark chapter 10, which Bimba so helpfully read for us earlier on. You'll find it on the inside of the service sheet. And there are two main things that, that we find happen in this part of Mark's gospel. It's an account that Mark writes of, of Jesus' life. Two main things in this, in this extract and the first is the account of, of the man who couldn't see the wood for the trees. Okay, we sometimes call him the rich, the rich young man. He's the man who couldn't see the wood for the trees. That's in um, verses 17 to 25. So he bounds up to Jesus, this guy, uh, and, and he has a question. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. I mean, from one point of view, uh, he gets a lot right. He gets a huge amount right. I mean, firstly, of all the people he could have gone up to, he goes up to Jesus. That's a good start, isn't it? So he could have gone up to uh, Buddha or Confucius or the, or the Roman gods. He could have got a self-help book or a personal coach. But he goes to Jesus. And more than that, he kneels down in front of Jesus. Uh, says that, fell on his knees, verse 17. I mean, that must have taken some guts, mustn't it? Uh, what if someone from the office had walked past? Uh, you, you know, might have asked him what he was doing. And then he asked for eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 17. I mean, how spiritual is that? Everyone else in Mark's gospel has, um, has gone to Jesus because they want their legs to get better, or they, they want their hand to get better, or they want their daughter to get better. But in the end, he's the man who can't see the wood for the trees. 
And uh, Jesus makes that point in verse 21. It's tragic. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And, and Jesus says, let go of your self-dependence. Let go of your possessions and, and, and allow me to save you. Find treasure in heaven. That's what I want to give you. That's an amazing offer, isn't it? Um, it's still open, by the way. If, if you're not yet a Christian, that's still an offer that's completely open. I want you to know that. You can come to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you, and he will give you treasure in heaven. That's a promise. But this man can't see the wood for the trees can't see the wood for the trees he won't let god give him what he what he needs he wants to try and do it himself and so he stands no more chance of getting into heaven than anyone stands of getting a camel through the eye of a needle he can't do it and so he walks away and that's when the second thing happens uh, and and that's when peter jumps in in verse 28 he tends to jump in and he does that in uh in this verse verse 28 peter spoke up we have left everything to follow you now we don't know what tone of voice he said that in but i i'm i think we should give him the benefit of the doubt they've left a lot behind they left their livelihoods families and jesus acknowledges that Listen to what he says in verse 29. That's where he says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. In this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with a side order of persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Those words, truly I tell you, come 13 times in Mark's Gospel. And Jesus saves those words for his most stunning promises. Now, notice firstly that Jesus assumes people will have to leave things behind to, to follow him. That's just basic discipleship. I don't know whether you knew that. There's a, there's a cost to following Jesus. It's not going to leave our lives the same if we decide we're going to be a Christian. And notice too that sometimes we're going to have to leave our biological families behind. And that's a hard thing. Um, I've got a friend who, who is sharing the gospel in a predominantly... Muslim culture, predominantly Muslim culture, where it's illegal to convert and become a Christian. And in, in, in that culture, it is just taken for granted that your biological family will reject you if you become a Christian, and sometimes they'll try and kill you. Um, if you're a Christian here today and your family haven't rejected you that's an unexpected bonus okay but but notice thirdly how jesus responds to all this he 
he doesn't just tell his disciples to wait for the future, although we've, we've just had him say to the, to the rich young man that it's about treasure in heaven. No, Jesus shows that it's worth it even in this life to live for him. It's worth it. But because even if your biological family are on your side, you'll, you'll only have um, one mum and dad. Uh, maybe like me, you'll only have one brother and sister in, in your biological family. But the gospel gives us lots more. Lots more. As Nathan has already said. So what I'm saying is this. Um, and um, I know we don't always see this lived out perfectly in the church. We'll have all kinds of regrets and all kinds of things that we haven't always done right in the local church. But what I'm saying is this, that although in our culture, the, the nuclear family, by which I mean sort of parents and 2.4 children or, or whatever, is, is, is the sort of basic unit, that's what everyone assumes is the norm, in the gospel that's not true anymore. Okay, I mean, if, if you are part of a, a, a nuclear family, um, do look after them. I mean, that's an important thing. You know, the Bible has things to say about that. But the local church is God's family, and that means this is real family. Jesus makes that point back in Mark 3, if you know that part of the gospel. And let's just draw out some implications at this stage. And I think this is very, very challenging for us. It means that my primary relationships are here at church. My primary relationships are here. And, and that means we want to lean into those church relationships. Okay, we want to, we want to commit time and energy and prayer and emotional um, sort of intelligence and communication. We want to commit all those things to our church family. It, you know, it's, it's so easy um, to just turn up to church when we're on a rotor. I know, I know how easy that is. Um, it's been easy over lockdown, hasn't it, to think of church as watching people on a screen, maybe enjoying the music. Uh, church is, is leaning into relationships, real relationships with real people. Because there's so much to benefit from that. We gain so much. Now we gain parents. Now, both my biological parents have died, and, um, uh, and I miss them. Some people at church have never known their biological parents. Uh, but I've still got spiritual dads. Some of them are single. Some of them are married. Uh, people you might not even know, like um, Graham and William and David and Chris. They're guys that have got my back, you know, and they look out for me and they give me advice. I go and see them. I need that. And what about sisters and brothers? Well, um, a, a mum was telling me just this week how, how much she gains from meeting up with her single friends at church. They're her sisters. Because, because they remind her that there's life beyond childcare and school runs. And, and, and they point her to Jesus. She says she learns from her Christian sister's focus on Jesus. And they tell her the kind of things that they've been learning from the Bible. Uh, another married couple here at church told me that they received some incredibly helpful advice from a, from a single Christian sister who was able to 
give them fantastic advice about their marriage from the Bible. Spiritual sisters and brothers, you see. And then spiritual children. Um, another um, single guy was telling me just this week uh, that he's a, he's a godparent to a teenage guy that he knows. Uh, this teenager hasn't had a, a massively positive uh, male influence in his life. And he was talking about how when he, when he turns up, uh, this teenager just sort of latches onto him. He's got so many questions to ask about being a Christian bloke, about growing up, about girls and all kinds of things that he wants to know about. Uh, and this, 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 this guy is able to be a father to him in a spiritual sense. That's a great, great privilege. And I know that many people here have godchildren that they look after and look after very well. And can I just speak on behalf of parents as well? And as a parent, there's something called parental guilt, which you feel quite a lot, actually. Uh, and, and you're very, very aware of your deficiencies as a parent. And um, can I just say, it takes a lot of Christian parents to raise a child. And there are people here who've looked after our children in ways that I, I, I wasn't able to. Maybe I didn't have the right skills or whatever. It takes a lot of Christian parents to raise a Christian kid, yeah? As single people, we need you to help us raise our children. We couldn't do it without you. Now, like any family, uh, like Nathan said, we'll, we'll sometimes get it wrong. I know, but if, if this is God's family, then this is real family, and we want to lean into that. Please lean into those relationships. Because the church is a place of real relationships. And then secondly... The church is a place of radical hospitality. Church is a place of radical hospitality. One of the marks of family is that you bring people into your home, yeah? In fact, in fact, more than that, you don't just bring them into your home, you treat them as a family member. And I, I think I've forgotten uh, until this week what, a, what an integral part of Christian discipleship this is. The Bible makes that really clear. I mean, for a start, it's an integral part of uh, being an elder or being a leader in the church. Uh, for people who are elders like me or people who are training to be elders up at Oak Hill or people who'd love to be in church leadership one day, do you notice how it's one of the key characteristics of a leader in the church? It's interesting, isn't it? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 is talking about um, overseers. It's another word for an elder. That's what it says. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, I mean, he's not a drinker, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. You know, it's funny. I, I know plenty of churches uh, who would be very, very careful to appoint elders who can teach without asking who that elder invites to his meal table. It's funny how some things get downgraded, yeah? It's important for elders, but it's, but it's important for every member of the church. Romans chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Have a look at those verses up on the screen. This is a response to the gospel. This is what it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality matters. But Paul puts it up there with um, prayer and caring for the needy. It's that integral to, to Christianity. The church is a place of radical hospitality. Now, maybe that you're sitting there thinking, and, I, and I've, thought this, I've thought this too, I just can't manage this. This is just something else, you know, on the to-do list that I, I don't have the headspace for at the moment. You know, all the shopping, all the cooking, all the cleaning and the hoovering, all the washing up. It's just, it's just completely unrealistic. I can't do that. No, it's okay. I know. The book of Romans has said, you know, we're completely under grace. Uh, the last thing the Bible wants to do is add another brick to the backpack for us as Christians. Uh, but I, th I think the Bible would also say that there's a difference between entertaining and hospitality. There's a difference between those two things. When, when you entertain, you're, you're, pu you're, you're putting on your best face, aren't you? You're putting on a good show, you're tidying everything up, you want to give a good impression, you want to sort of imply that your kitchen is always tidy. And, uh, and, and you want people to see you as a competent adult. Quite a, quite a tricky thing for some of us. When you're being hospitable, then you're bringing someone into your life, incompetence and all. So I read an article this week called The Dishwasher Test. I thought it was a great, a great article, actually. Um, it made a great point, so I'm going to read out a section of it. And you'll see it up on the screen. Uh, written by a single guy. One of the greatest joys of my life is getting to be a part of multiple families as a single person. Their friendships are really important. They're part, I like this bit, they're, they're part of what makes singleness plausible for me. We just do ordinary life, but we're doing it together. I have a little way of testing whether I'm somewhere as a guest or as part of the family. I call it the dishwasher test. After a meal, I just start stacking the dishwasher. If they think I'm there as a guest, they'll try and stop me. Don't do that, Andrew. You're our guest. But if I'm there as part of the family, they won't bat an eyelid. They'll just join in beside me. The church is a place of radical hospitality. And that's, that is hard for us at the moment, isn't it? Because we're just coming out of lockdown and we're out of practice. We're really out of practice doing this stuff. But it, it's hospitality, not entertainment. We're called to do hospitality, not entertainment. Sort of folding people into our lives as they are, taking down the barriers. And that means... Um, parents, you don't always have to invite your single friends around for a dinner party. Maybe invite them to kids' tea. I mean, they might get a little bit covered in uh, butternut squash puree, but tell them to dress in orange and they won't notice. You can just rub it in. It's a great thing. It's all part of the experience. Um, some of the feedback that I've had says that, that singles would love to be invited around to join families a bit more. Let's not be precious about that. Let's bring them into our family lives. 
um, single people, please invite um, marrieds and families round, round to your place. Please do that. We, Dora and I have enjoyed some fantastic time together with single people. You know, we're, it's, it's easy to imagine that, that families are sort of sorted on the family circuit and um, they're all sort of going around to each other's houses and it, it might seem like that, but it's, it does, it's, it's not completely true. And I, I know that it's sometimes difficult to cater for another four or five people. You need to get in some more plates and get in, you know, a few more chairs into your, into your flat. It might not be huge. But I can't tell you how special it feels to have someone share their life with you as a single person after what might have been a, a busy day for them at the office, for them to have come back home and then look after you. It's an amazingly precious thing. There is so much more that I could say on this, um, but feel free to ask more questions about all of this in question time, about ways that we can fold people into our lives as they are. But let me just make one more point briefly before we finish. Um, because church is, is not just to be a place of radical hospitality and real relationships, but of honest friendship, honest friendship. Church is a place of honest friendship. You know, the, the, the basis for all this um, is the hospitality and the friendship that Jesus has shown to us. That the, the way that Jesus has, has, has welcomed us into his family, the way that he has shown friendship to us. He's, he's brought us near by his blood, the Bible says. And now he calls us friends. You know, this is one of the most remarkable statements in the whole Bible. And it comes in John chapter 15. He, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is what he says. This is the Son of God speaking to his followers. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. What's the key? Self-disclosure. Friends open up to each other. You know, your friend is the person who knows you at your sparkling best and your shameful worst, and they love you all the same. To be so deeply known and to be so loved is a very, very precious thing. And yes, married people might find that friendship at a human level in, in the unique depth of intimacy with their marriage partner. That may be true, although it's not always true. And single people may find that on a human level in, in the unique breadth of intimacy that, that single people might find in a, in a range of friendships. And I'd love us to think about how we might be able to grow deeper friendships, maybe in, in the question time, how can we grow friendships? But it must begin with this, with an element of self-disclosure. We're going to have to be honest about our fears and our challenges and our failures and our successes, about the things that we want, the things we don't want, and how we struggle. But together we will find intimate friendship with Jesus Christ himself 
And that is the most precious thing of all. And we need to finish. But just before we do, let me sum up the series to, to, to leave you something to think about and ask questions about and to talk about. Is there any suggestion in the Bible that single people are second-class citizens? No. Singleness is better than marriage. That's what it says. Is, is there any suggestion in the Bible that single people are wasting their sexuality? No. Those sexual desires are to make us long for heaven. Are single people facing a life with no family? No. God has given us a family in the church which is more significant than any biological family can be. This is God's family and this is a real family. Is singleness easy? No. But, but with honest friends and, and, and with the astonishing and self-disclosing friendship of, of Jesus Christ himself, there, there is intimacy to enjoy even in the here and now until we reach that world that we long for and indeed that we were made to enjoy. Let's pray then as we finish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of the local church. Thank you for the family that it represents. Thank you for the way that we can find brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, and children in the community of the local church. And so I pray, Father, that we would lean into those relationships and I pray that we are finally fulfilling. I pray that we will be good friends to one another, friends who disclose who we really are, that, 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 that drop the barriers, that, um, uh, that say honest things. And I pray, Father, that we would enjoy most of all being drawn into your family, adopted as brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ and find a real intimacy in friendship with your son. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.